0: When Nancy and I came back from Egypt uh, we moved to Grand Rapids where we have two grandsons who are absolutely wonderful about 97.5% of the time and if Jonathan and Joel are ever hearing this they're great the other the rest too but they have their moments It was our privilege to serve in Egypt for a, as you know, very long, long time. And uh, I'm really happy that after years of delay, a book project I did for the Bible Society on how we got the Bible is now finally going to come out later, a bit later this year in print in Arabic. And uh, it's been frustrating. Uh, it's been like searching the Lord. Why, oh Lord, has this taken so long? And they just wrote to me about a week and a half ago and say, No, it's coming out in the summer. It took time. So thankful for that. For the past four Sundays, Pastor Drew has taken us through a series, well done, on the book of. Ruth. And it included both a physical journey and a spiritual journey. The physical journey was, of course, from Moab to Israel. The spiritual journey was the transformation of Naomi from bitterness to gratitude and joy. In chapter one, she said, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. But by chapter 4, she's joyfully holding a grandson on her lap whose name is Obed, which means worshiper. So today, we're going to follow up on that by looking at a psalm that is also about a journey that we have sung about and we have seen on the screen, and it's called the Traveler's Psalm. It's in page 440 of the Pew Bible, or you turn in or turn on your Bibles to Psalm 121. And although penned, Several generations over the time of Ruth, this psalm has truths in it that I have no doubt Ruth, uh, that Naomi could attest to. And so Psalm 121. A traveler speaks and says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, our help comes from you. This needs to be by your Spirit. Lead us into your, this text into the clear understanding of what you're saying to us through it, that we may find you as our help throughout our journey of life. And all God's people said, amen. So first this morning, we're going to set the scene of this psalm. Then we're going to consider three aspects of how God cares for us or keeps us, which is what this psalm is all about. We're gonna see that He is our keeper in every moment. He is our keeper in every circumstance, and He is our keeper in every place. And then we're gonna end up by looking at why we can have confidence that God is going to be our keeper in every moment. In every circumstance and in every place. So let's start by setting the scene. Psalm 121 is called a psalm of ascent. You will see that in the little title of the psalm, most likely in your Bible. The psalms of ascent are 15 psalms that begin with Psalm 120. And it's thought by many these Psalms of Ascent to be recited by travelers on their way up to Jerusalem. Psalm 120 ends, look at verse 5 of 120, it, it ends, and the psalmist laments Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Meshech? Kedar? What's that? Well, Meshach is, is an area north of Israel near the Black Sea. Kedar is an area in northern Arabia, in the, the sands of Arabia far to the south. So what's going on? Is the psalmist, the psalmist isn't in two places at once? No, this is picture language. And he is saying in this psalm, I am far from God's people. I am far from God's land. Now, fast forward to the beginning of Psalm 122. And in verse 1 of 122, he says, I rejoiced with those who said with me, let us go to the house of the Lord. My feet, our feet, Lord, are standing in your gates So he goes from being far from God's land and God's people at the end of 120 to standing in the very gates of Jerusalem at the beginning of 122, and in between is 121, the Traveler's Psalm. Why this name? Because traveling back in those days was a dangerous thing. I mean, there were no highways, there was no 911, there was no Google Maps saying, there's a speed trap ahead. And of course, that doesn't relate to any of us here because we're always going the speed limit, aren't we? There could be thieves along the journey. There were natural disasters, floods, scorching winds. A traveler was on his or her own. A traveler needed protection, needed to be guarded. And that's the meaning of a word that appears six times in these eight verses. We miss this because in the NIV it's translated as the word watch. And if you underline in your Bible, my recommendation is you just put a little underline under each occurrence of the word watch because that appears seven times and keep only once. And our word watch usually means to observe. I am watching you. But the Hebrew word goes way beyond that. It means to keep to guard, to preserve, to tend, to take care of. And that's the meaning in this psalm, and it's but it's a psalm that's often been used misused by people to think that okay, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. Doesn't the Bible say God will keep me from all harm? But that is not what this psalm is about. This psalm is about God's guardianship over his people on their way to Jerusalem and his guardianship over our lives as we are on this journey of life, whatever the circumstances may be. So there's three things right off in setting the scene that we need to be conscious of here. And the first one that we need to consider is Where the psalmist is looking. Because he begins with, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I don't know about you, but my thought would be, why isn't he saying, I lift up my eyes to the heavens? What's with these hills? these just aren't any hills in fact these may not be hills at all over the years I've had the opportunity to work with Bible translators in many parts of the world and I can tell you that Bible translation is complicated typically a Bible translator will have a PhD in linguistics they use specialized software that the United Bible Societies and Wycliffe Bible Translators developed especially for Bible translation. The Bible Societies have an entire set of commentaries called the UBS Handbooks that are written specifically for Bible translators in all the issues that will come up as they are translating the Bible. Why? Because accurate? Bible translation is complicated. The original language may have one word that is trans- can be translated into multiple words in the target language, and this is one of those. The Hebrew translators had to make a choice. It could be either hills or mountains. And so the translator said, okay, which one am I going to choose? On one hand, this could be a reference to hills, which would be the hills around Jerusalem. And so this traveler is saying, I lift up my eyes to God's dwelling place. That's where my help comes from. But he could also be looking up toward mountains, which were symbols of spiritual power. In that case, the psalmist is saying, I lift up my eyes to all these spiritual powers out there, and what about me? My help comes from the Lord. Either way, he knows where his help is coming from. So the first thing we need to consider is where he's looking. But the second thing we need to consider is to whom the psalmist is looking. To whom the psalmist is looking. He tells us that in the latter part of verse 2. He says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Nancy and I just bought a new car. Well, it's not a new car. It's a used car that's new to us. And we decided we were going to buy a car that was Nissan certified. Why? Because it came with certain guarantees. And then we bought this bumper-to-bumper thing that will cover everything for the next four years why did we do that well we've all heard of those auto mechanic horror stories haven't we like this one I read this week about the guy who decided he needed to get his transmission fixed and so he went to the service station they said that'll cost you $600 so he put down his money only to discover they drove it around the block to a transmission shop, which fixed it for $250. So he basically paid him $350 to drive the car around the block. And when he got the car back, it still wasn't fixed, and that's when they discovered the problem was just a loose vacuum hose. But we've all heard of these stories, haven't we? And there are some great mechanics out there, honest, excellent in their work, but we all know about the other ones. That's why Nancy and I decided to stick with the maker, the manufacturer, and when something breaks down in our lives, where do we go for help? Do we go to social media? Do we go to the latest psychobabble? Do we go to celebrities? I mean, really, what do they know about my life? Doesn't it make sense that when something breaks down in our lives, we go back to the Maker and ask Him to show us what we need, what He wants us to do? So that's what the psalmist does. My help says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The third thing we need to see here is with whom the psalmist is traveling, because he's not alone. Notice in verse one and two, he's talking about himself. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But what happens in verse 3? The pronouns change. Now it's you. He is traveling with another party. And it's unclear whether he is speaking to that other party or the party is speaking to them. The text could allow either way. But he's not alone. And in this journey of life, you and I are not to go through it alone either. Naomi was not alone. Naomi had Ruth. And think about this. It was a remarkable conversation. Here is Naomi, and she's leaving to go back to Israel, newly widowed, And she's taking along her two daughters-in-law who were also widowed. And she tells them, return home because it's more bitter for me than for you. And to this bitter woman who had lost her husband and lost her sons, Ruth who has is, is no blood relationship to her. Not even, they don't even share a common nationality. Ruth, said, who is also widowed, says to her, no, I will go with you. Your people will be your, my people, and your God will be my God. Naomi didn't travel alone. It's my habit to read every year uh, a handful of books, and one of them is Pilgrim's Progress. And every year, I gain something new in the reading. And this year, it was all about Christians' traveling companions, faithful and hopeful. And in the story, the first was Faithful, who was martyred in the town of Vanity, And then after vanity, Christian was able to escape, but then he was joined by someone who saw faithful's testimony and chose to join Christian on his journey to the celestial city, and his name was hopeful. And for the remainder of the story in Pilgrim's Progress, they help one another in the trials and difficulties that they face. They help one another overcoming the temptation of a silver mine called lucre. They overcome together helping one another in that castle called the Doubting Castle. Then there was the drowsiness of the enchanted ground and finally there was crossing over that river that symbolizes death so that they can go to the celestial gates. And it's an interesting interaction in the story between Christian and Hopeful because Hopeful recognizes along the journey that Christian is the senior brother and listens to him as they talk about this journey and the things they're going to face and what's in the celestial city and so on. But when they're crossing under the, in that river to the celestial gates, it's Hopeful who is helping Christian make the journey they needed each other and we need each other too when Nancy and I returned unexpectedly from Egypt you you I'm not gonna get emotional about this you gave us a wedding shower that we never had when we got married and two months later left for Egypt. It was overwhelming. We had so many gift cards to bed, bath and beyond. (laughs) I can't understand how they went bankrupt. (laughs) And now In Grand Rapids, we are part of a couples group called The Mob. I didn't give it the name. Don't look at me. But these are all people with multicultural perspectives and international ministry experience, and when we need prayer, they will pray. I regularly have lunch with two guys, at Olive Garden and over that, you know, unlimited soup and salad, we talk about the books that we're reading, we discuss theology, what's going on in our lives, and we call it the grumpy old men group. (laughs) It's a name my dad would have been proud of. Nancy and I are part of a large adult class in our grand rapids church called journey so named because we're on this journey together you and i need one another in the journey of life so who is your ruth who is your hopeful who's in your mob who's in your grumpy old men group or your grumpy old women's group Social media gives the illusion of community, but that is only an illusion. We have an epidemic of loneliness in this country right now. We were not created to live that way. Our maker has created us to journey through life face-to-face, hand-in-hand, arm-in-arm with other followers of Jesus. That's the way we're made. So now, that's just the introduction to Psalm 121. So let's look at three things about how God keeps us. Starting in verse 3 and 4, we see that God's Keeping and care is in every moment. It says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It means that God is constantly guarding 24 7. And this is emphasized by that word, indeed, which means. Certainly or without a doubt, he's going to, he is going to do this. And it is one of the lies of the devil to think otherwise. You come to that great chapter, Isaiah 40, and at the end, there's a lament. And Isaiah says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God's care for us is in every moment But his care is also in every circumstance. We see that in verses 5 and 6. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, at this point... I could tell you what many commentators say about the sun and the moon. They say that it refers to the harshness of the sun's rays in the Middle East, which is true. And then what about the moon? They say that there was an ancient belief that the moon's Rays cause mental problems, which is where we get the word lunatic and lunacy, which is not true, by the way. It doesn't mean any of that. It has nothing to do with the sun and the moon. Rather, it is a figure of speech called a marismas. Now, how do I know this? Because I have this good buddy named Ken Langley who wrote about it in a book. A marismas is an expression that uses two contrasting parts to stand for the whole. It's like telling someone, I searched... High and low. You know, nobody ever comes back and said, well, why didn't you search in the middle? (laughs) The middle's understood in the expression. The high and the low stand for the whole thing, and the sun and the moon stand for all the circumstances of life and everything in between. The Apostle Paul wrote, and we know that in how many things? All things. God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All things. All circumstances. God's care for us is in every moment, in all circumstances, and then in verses 7 and 8, it's in every Place, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And the phrase coming and going refers to all the activities of life, no matter what they may be. And put these three together. And what do we say, see in Psalm 121? We see that God's care his keeping is in every moment, every circumstance, and everywhere. Is there anything left out of that? This is why the Apostle Paul ended Romans 8 with these words Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, whether death or life, whether angels or demons, whether the present or the future, or any powers, or anything in all creation will not be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all creation will separate us. So, how can we be sure of this? Okay, this psalm has great promises, but how can we be sure that God will do this? How can we know that God's going to care for us every place, every moment, every circumstance because long after the time of Naomi and Ruth, a descendant of Ruth knelt in a garden one night. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven And he asked if the father was willing that he would keep him, protect him, guard him from the horrific things that were about to happen. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And the answer from heaven was no. Because God poured out on him the punishment that we deserve for our sin, for our breaking the law of God. As the prophet Isaiah foretold 800 years before this happened, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. As John MacArthur said, God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived your life so that he could treat you as if you lived his. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life that we could not live. He died a sinner's death that we deserve to die, and he rose from that death to give us eternal life that we can never earn. As Paul wrote... God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if he did this, won't he take care of us in all the little dinky things of life too? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I want to close this morning with the final days of author Eugene Peterson. When Peterson was on his deathbed, hovering between this life and the next, listen to what his family said about him. During the previous days, it was apparent that he was navigating the thin and sacred space between earth and heaven. We overheard him speaking to people we can only presume who were welcoming him into paradise. And his joy, oh my, the man remained joyful right up to the blessed end. And among Peterson's last words were, Let's go. Don't you want to pass out of this life into the next like that? I do. Eugene Peterson is best known for his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. In one interview, looking back in his work, this is what he said I didn't feel it was anything special when I was doing it. Reading it now, I think, how did I do this? It truly was a work of the Holy Spirit. Peterson knew where his help came from. Do you? do I I lift up my eyes to the hills where does my help come from my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth let's pray oh God we come to you in gratitude in amazement that on this one little ball in your creation and in this one little place on that ball and in this fellowship right here, you have given us promises of what you will do, who you are, that we can know you and we can see you working in us and around us. And our desire is to live for you and glorify your name until the day you take us home. And then to join with all others who have gone before us to do that forever. In Jesus' name.